Hello, my lovelies. Um, we are back for part two of the care and feeding of the pastor's family. One quick disclaimer. Um, I use he, him pronouns when referring to the clergy person in these families. And I use she, her pronouns when referring to the spouse, because that is my lived experience, both as a child in a pastor's family and as the spouse of a pastor. Um, the other reason is, as I've spoken to... Um, families in which the wife was the pastor, um, men don't seem to catch the same kind of nonsense that, that the women do when our husbands are pastors. And as far as speaking to non-binary individuals or individuals with non-binary spouses or people in same-sex relationships that are in the clergy, I have to be honest, I've not had much of an opportunity to have conversations about these kinds of things with them. So I am sharing with you my experiences as a pastor's kid and a pastor's wife, this is the second of four parts that I call Care and Feeding of the Pastor's Family. It is something I posted on an old blog of mine ages ago. So let's just jump right into part two. Are you ready for part two? I'll be honest, because this one could be tough. You sure you're ready? Okay, here goes. Say thank you. Often. Sounds simple. Maybe a little ridiculous. Let me explain why it matters. Your pastor is on duty 24-7, literally every day of the year. Sure, he may take a vacation, but I assure you that if a major crisis came up, for example, the death of a church member or an illness that has them in very serious condition, there is a strong chance that your pastor and his family will lose their vacation so he can be there for the person in crisis. Those big family holidays that so many choose to visit family for, your pastor can't exactly do that. He has to work on Christmas Eve, Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day. You get the idea. In my first post, I mentioned the fact that a pastor and his family may live several hours away from extended family. And if he's working Christmas Eve and the extended family lives several hours away, at the time I wrote this blog, it was 10 or 17 hours, depending on which part of the family we chose to visit. He'll either have to fly or spend most of Christmas Day driving. And that includes his family, too. I've had date nights canceled because a church family member had been rushed to the hospital. Other dates have been interrupted, sometimes repeatedly, when we ran into members of the congregation around town and hubby stopped to chat. Same thing goes for family outings. It's just the nature of the business. And Sunday? Absolutely the craziest day of the week in a pastor's house. I was once chatting with another pastor's wife when someone joined our conversation. And somehow we got onto the topic of Sunday, and this third person made the comment about Sunday being a day for slowing down and spending time with family. My pastor wife friend and I looked at one another for a moment and at the exact same time burst out laughing. Sunday is pretty much the complete opposite of slow and family focused in a pastor's home. Most pastor's families would say so. I love hearing my hubby preach. So during his years in the pulpit, that was a good trade-off for me because I loved hearing him share his passion. But he was busy working, connecting with church members from the moment he arrived in the building, usually before 8 a.m., until we got home at least four hours later or thereabouts. In every congregation, there is that one person who was just never completely with the ha happy with the pastor or his spouse or his kids and is very willing to let the pastor know when he or a family member has failed to meet expectations. My hubby once got a complaint because my son was slouching. 
in church. At the time, my son was running the computer that was hooked up to the projector and it sat on the pew next to him. So sometimes he slid down on the pew to be able to see the screen and click the arrows at the right time. To me, griping about slouching is silly and petty, but hubby still has to field those complaints and I'm so grateful that he does. I'm not sharing any of this to gain sympathy or point fingers. There is no other profession I know of that requires a person to be on call, ready to go at a moment's notice, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In a discussion with other pastor's wives about this very issue, one of the women said, since we can't change the 24-7 demands of the job, what do you think would make it easier? There was a moment of silence. Then one of the wives spoke up and said, thank you. We looked at her a little confused until she explained, it would be nice for me or my husband or my family to hear, thank you, now and then. I'm not looking for more money or more days off, just some basic appreciation. So for those that want to erase some of the strain of a 24-7 on-call lifestyle for pastor and family, let them know how much you appreciate his willingness to be so available. And how grateful you are for the family's willingness to roll with the schedule changes that happen at a moment's notice. A simple thank you can mean more than you possibly know. I will state this until the day that I die. Men and women don't get into ministry to try to become rich. Yes, some of them do. Some of them um, become fantastic grifters and make millions off of their churches. Others, like my husband, end up in small congregations that sometimes struggle to pay the bills, sometimes have to make a big push for people to give more in the Sunday morning offering because got to keep the lights on, got to keep the building heated. And when all you ever hear is complaints, it hurts. I mentioned the one complaint about my son slouching in the pew. Yeah, he was running the PowerPoint for his dad's sermon. Now, what I didn't say in the blog was my husband came home laughing about it. He's like, you are not going to believe what somebody complained about. I was angry. He thought it was ridiculous that they were getting so petty. But what I will never forget is what my youngest daughter did. Who went and sat next to her younger sibling these are number three and four in the line of my kids. The very next Sunday, she had no reason to be sitting up in the very front pew. The only person who sat there was the person running the PowerPoint, and that was not her. But she sat there and slouched so far down that you could see about that much of the top of her head. She was a high schooler. She was a, a teenager in high school by this time. She never said a word. We knew who the person was that had complained because that person had come up to my husband and complained to his face in person, which in retrospect, it's better than the anonymous letter my husband got that went off about me for two pages about what a terrible person I was. So at least that person had the guts to complain in person. My daughter didn't say a word to that person. She didn't interact with that person at all other than to smile when that person said hello to her first thing in the morning. She just sat on the other side of the laptop and slouched so far down you could. And she made a point of sitting up nice and straight and then sliding forward. So everybody in the church saw her slouch on person on purpose. Now, I was playing the piano at the time and I stayed on the platform tucked away in, in the choir loft. And I, 
when I realized what she had done, it was all I could do to keep my cool on the platform. I wanted to laugh so hard because this child had very calmly, without saying a word, without being rude and disrespectful to someone's face, had basically said, really? That's what you want to complain about? Okay. And she sat there, slouched, the entire time my husband was preaching. Because that's the kind of stuff my kids put up with. My kids put up with people criticizing everything they did, every choice they made, the outfits they wore. And yes, if my children slouched in church, they heard about it. Really? These are the kinds of things that can drive pastors' families to leave the pulpit. These are some of the many things. But it definitely is the type of thing that makes the pastor's family and the pastor's spouse feel like the fight isn't worth it. When you are complaining over petty things like the pastoral children slouching in the pews on a Sunday morning, you have completely missed the entire purpose of being gathered together with fellow believers. When the purpose is to uplift one another and encourage and build each other up and you're going to go to the pastor and complain about something so trivial, something so absolutely minuscule, something that doesn't affect anyone's safety or well-being in the world. It's those kinds of petty complaints that can drive pastors, kids, and their spouses right out the door of the church, never to return again. <laughs> 